Welcome to Busy Gamer Nation. My name's Richard Rouse. I'm with Paranoid Productions. I'm John Patrick Lowry. Uh, you may know me as the sniper in Team Fortress 2 or Pudge and Storm Spirit and others in Dota 2. And my wife, Ellen McLean, and I are working on a new game called The Church in the Darkness. It's a top-down infiltration game where you are trying to rescue your nephew from a cult that is in South America. And you don't know if it's a good cult or a bad cult. We're trying to rescue them from you, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Ellen and I play the leaders of the cult. We are... Rebecca and Isaac Walker, and the game is produced by Paranoid Productions. Which is what you should be as a player if you play this game, is Paranoid. <laughs> it's a top-down action infiltration game set inside a religious cult in the 1970s, so you're, uh, as the player, going down to infiltrate this group to check on a relative of yours, your nephew, to see if he's okay, see if he's being kept against his will, or if he wants to leave, or if he's fine with it. Because the group has moved down to South America to isolate themselves from what they see as corrupt America. Society, and they're trying to just live their lives there, and you're infiltrating the camp to check on this person. And the interesting thing about the game is every time you play, the narrative is randomized. So sometimes the cult leaders are just eccentric hippies who want to live in a you know agricultural compound in the jungle, and sometimes they're more dangerous and apocalyptic. So when you replay the game, you get different versions of the same story, and then you get to make choices while you're playing. You play lethally, non-lethally, avoid detection, how do you deal with certain characters you meet, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was playing yesterday, and I kept getting captured, and yeah. I was trying to do stealth and non-lethal takedowns, but then they would start shooting at me, and I right. kind of had to shoot them back. Right, yeah. It takes a little sort of getting you used to sneaking behind them to get the stealth takedowns, and you can do lethal or non-lethal takedowns on them too. Just like the non-lethal option will take a little longer, but they'll get back up. But for example, when they capture you, if you've been murdering everyone in camp, because it is a little more efficient to murder people, then the cult leaders don't take kindly to you and they just kill you. So once they capture you, they shoot you. Versus if you get captured without having done that, you can break out and keep playing the same game. That's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah, cool. Good to know you weren't murdering everyone. And if you hide the bodies, then they don't know about it, too. So you get to weigh that as well. Yeah. So what inspired this? So I've been sort of fascinated with, like, fringe groups and extremist movements for years. And it just seemed like the idea of sometimes these groups isolating themselves into a particular geographic location like a perfect game setting so as I was looking at oh hey I'd like to do something that's just kind of top down action infiltration gameplay I thought oh that would fit well and something it's a compound but also thinking this isn't a compound we've seen before right we haven't played games set in a you know a religious compound in the 1970s it's also something that being in India allows us to do and just tackle the subject matter without having to worry too much about upsetting people or publisher getting upset or just because big publishers I like a lot of big games that they make and I've worked at big publishers but they do try to avoid conflict or upsetting someone or something like that. And if you're doing subject matter like this, someone's going to get upset about it. So This is the first game that Ellen and I have done where we've been brought in at the ground floor to help develop the game and develop the characters. Yeah, Richard even let me name my character. He wanted a biblical name because of the cult thing. And I chose Rebecca because that's my sister's name. I think it's a fascinating game because you as the player must make ethical choices. You must decide to use deadly force or not. And, of course, as you go through the game, you can collect things. Yes, you can get a gun. Yes, you can get other things. You can get disguises. And 
the game makes you think as a human being would think in a situation like this. And I think it resembles real police work a lot more because you're constantly making split-second decisions as to whether or not you should unholster your weapon, which is what real police have to do. You don't know if it's a good thing. And the game is structured in such a way that if you make the wrong choices, you can take a safe situation that's safe for everybody in the game and turn it into a dangerous situation. You're not just protecting your own life, you're trying to protect the lives of everybody that you're dealing with. And to me, that's just kind of a different level of thinking in the game than just a game where you know where the bad guys are and you're just trying to kill them, as many of them as possible, which is a lot of fun. But this is, I think, a more literate game and a more challenging game in that way because you're not going to win unless you negotiate that ethical quagmire of, are these people good people? Is it good to take them out or do I need to not take them out? Even when you meet your nephew, you don't know if your nephew is going to want to leave or not. You know, So it's all these kind of things. And the other cool thing about the game is that the way we've recorded it, it starts in a different place every time you start. And by that, I mean, not only are you in a different place on the map and that the map is unique, but you don't know about us. We may be fine. One of us may be fine and the other one may be kind of... Or both of us might be. And you also don't know if we're really stable and you can do stuff or if we're kind of on the edge. And if you do the wrong thing, we're going to tip over and it's all going to go belly up. So there's a lot of tension in the game that way. And you can play it over and over again because you never know which Rebecca and Isaac you're going to meet. And you don't know how it's going to turn out. Obviously, it's got infinite replayability in the sense that you can play it and get different outcomes every time. Right. How long does it take to play through, generally? That's something that varies a lot depending on what type of player you are. And probably there'll be like speedrunners who can do crazy things with it. But we're estimating like two to four hours probably to get through like a single playthrough, assuming you haven't died. It does have kind of a permadeath, like you found. You get captured the first time. You might get captured twice. But the third time, they kill you, and then you have to restart the whole thing. So as a busy gamer, you know, sometimes you can't play through a game in one sitting. Right. Is it save your progress? There is. You are able to save the game anywhere, but when you get to one of those endings, it's going to wipe your save or something. We haven't worked out all the details of that implementation, but I don't want you like using the save to like replay the scenario a bunch of times. So we're going to work out something where I'm a big fan of. I've got kids and stuff too. I need to be able to play for an hour if I want and not feel like I just wasted it all. So. It's an important priority to me to be able to save the game anywhere and then come back to it later. So have you guys worked together before on voice acting? Interestingly, we are both on Team Fortress 2. Well, actually, the first game we were on was Half-Life, Half-Life 2. 2. Yeah, but we're only in the studio together. We were in the studio together for this, but we were in the studio together for Left for Dead because Valve thought it would be funny to have us voice the bickering married couple on the radio of the houseboat at the end of the game. Right, because it's funny because they hired me for Half-Life 2, then they hired Ellen for Half-Life 2, and we did that whole game, and then they hired me for TF2, and hired Ellen for TF2, because she's the announcer on TF2, and it was about two-thirds of the way through that game that they happened to schedule us both on the same day, and Ellen came in first and said, so you're going to be working with my husband next. And they went, what? And so that was the first time they knew that we were married because we have different last names professionally. So you've been married 30 years. Do you know preceded your voice acting careers? Yeah, yeah. We, we got married in 86, and I started voice acting in... Well, really, in 86. Well, the thing is, years ago after I got out of graduate school, I did work for an ad agency in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where I'm from. And they did have me do some radio commercials. And I remember one was about, oh, mon petit Peugeot. And I was 
<laughs> promoting the Peugeot dealership in Nashville, of all things. And then John and I, after we got married in 86, we were both DJs. I was actually working on my doctorate in composition, which I was a music composer first. And at Indiana University, the NPR station WFIU, we were both DJs. And they had us do radio commercials. And those were really fun. They were very funny. But it wasn't until we moved out to Seattle in 89 that I really actually got a voice demo, got an agent, and started doing that work. And that was before home computer games. I mean, you had arcade games, but Mist didn't even come out until like 93 or 94. And I started getting auditions for computer games in 95, 96, and started getting work right away. So it's been a lot of fun for me. One of the funny stories is she told me, you should really do voice work. You should really do voice work. So I got a voice demo and I started doing voice work. And, you know, as actors, our careers go up and down, up and down. And she'd be out of work and all depressed. And I'd say, well, get a voice demo. And she'd say, oh, no. No, I don't have the right kind of voice. They just use men. They wouldn't use women. And now she's like mega super famous. And I'm kind of famous, you know. (laughs) So, but finally in 2002, I got a voice demo. And one of my first jobs was for the Honeywell runway alert system That's in like 90% of the commercial airports in the world. And I'm the one who tells the pilot at what altitude as they come in. And they call my voice Bitchin' Betty. And the funny thing about that is that Ellen used to have a fear of flying. And she went to a therapist about it. And the therapist told her, you know, it's a control issue. The reason that you're afraid is you're just using your anxiety to keep the plane in the air. It's the only thing you can do, right? And so now she's flying all the planes. So now when we fly, I say, hey, if we crash, it's your fault. (laughs) And John, you know, we were leaving an aircraft and the line was long. And so the pilot was there saying goodbye to everybody. And John said, hey, this is the voice of Bitch and Betty. And he said, oh my God, oh my God. He totally had a nerd moment. It was like, you know, somebody told her that she was glad. I was like, oh, I got to get an autograph. I got to get an autograph. (laughs) Well, we've really had a great time working on this game and we're really proud of it. And we hope that it appeals because, I mean, it's not just a shooter. It's a detective game where it's your job to do good detective work. And that might involve killing somebody, but probably won't. Or usually won't. You might have to kill a few people. But usually if you get into a firefight, you're one guy in a huge cult. And there's going to be a lot more people shooting at you than you shooting at them. So so Richard said that you guys workshopped this. What was that like? Uh, Oh, my gosh. We sat at the table. And, of course, Richard came up with all of the dialogue. But we talked about it. And he would go back and rewrite things. And... We talked about who we thought these characters were. You know, for example, in conversation with Richard, John and I have sort of decided that Isaac is the thinker. Isaac is the mystic. And Rebecca is the political businesswoman. Yeah, Rebecca's kind of the revolutionary, and I'm the prophet. And I think that really comes across. So what platform is he targeting? Today we're playing on PlayStation here at the show. We're also up on Xbox, and we're on Steam, so PC and Mac. I mean, Steam is what we're targeting first. We haven't worked out sort of when which platform will ship, so I think Steam and PC will definitely be there day one, though. So they are coming for us. They will infiltrate us. They will sabotage us. They will try to kidnap our people. But we are ready. We take up arms, and we will have no mercy for anyone that violates our home. Attacking us will just show the world how corrupt they are. So let them call us a cult. 
because we stand firm for what we believe. We have God on our side, and we will not let them take a single one of us alive. Find show notes, music credits, and other details at BusyGamerNation.com WAC Podcast.